People were kind of laughing at my sermon title. <laughs> well, I did that on purpose, get people's attention, I guess. John MacArthur actually, in this section, uh, does the opposite, how not to die. So I just kind of flipped it on how to die. Um, not something that we, we, we quite often talk about. But you can uh, open up your Bibles to John chapter 8. We're going to be looking at John, uh, John chapter 8, verses 21 through 30. Uh, it's interesting when you look at chapters like this and I hope that you guys are seeing the different units of thought that I'm trying to break this up into, uh, because Jesus is kind of in this long-running conversation, and you kind of have to pick out the different themes and uh, how he transitions from one to another. And particularly in this section, Jesus is going to introduce certain themes that he's actually going to expand on uh, in the next few sections. So chapter 8, there's a couple more sermons uh, just left in chapter 8 alone. It's interesting how narratives do that, but I hope that you're able to see how we're breaking this up and uh, how those units of thought come to the forefront of what Jesus is saying. So we'll be looking at a, this topic today, uh, basically a how-to sermon. Uh, so how to die, John chapter 8, verses 21 through 30. In early 2006, San Francisco paralegal Mike Patterson started uh, a website or a, a place, a site called mydeathspace.com. Has anyone ever heard of MyDeathSpace.com? Never heard of it until I read this. It's an internet site that actually details the deaths of MySpace members. You guys remember MySpace? Some of you guys, you two won't remember MySpace way, way before your time. So it details the death of MySpace members and offers links to the archived pages of their accounts. There's even a digital map that tracks all the locations of the deceased who are registered. Patterson's site lists nearly 3,000 deaths right now. I don't know when this was written, but I'm sure it's increased since then. And it has over 100,000 visits or hits a day. So it's 100,000 people go to mydeathspace.com to read about these people who have died. Over time, it has become sort of a virtual graveyard without any tombstones or flowers, mostly for young people who have died of various ways, uh, but specifically, uh, many have died of suicide or some act of violence. People use the site for, for different reasons. They use it to mourn, they use it to heal, and they use it to discuss matters of the afterlife, and they also use it um, for some morbid curiosity. One guy says the site lets you kind of look into the heart of darkness, and as we look into the heart of darkness, he says that we see those kinds of things that we try not to think about. We try to avoid thinking about, we try to avoid talking about that which, how we are all kind of dancing on the edge and how quickly mortality can come in and take us. The, uh, the website reminds me of a verse found in Ecclesiastes. It's better to go in a house of mourning and then to, to the house of feasting. Why? For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will take it to heart. This is kind of the conversation that we're going to be having today. It's about death. It's about how to die. There's a reason why the world avoids this conversation. There's a reason why we don't like to talk about it. And there's a reason why the Bible talks about it throughout the entire book, isn't there? 
God wants us to be thinking about these things. There's a reason it says this in Ecclesiastes is because this is the end of all men. This is where we're going to end up, and God is trying to prepare us for that point. He's teaching us how to die. Teaches us how to live, absolutely. But the fact, if you and I are prepared for that moment of death, then you and I are going to live appropriately. We're going to live accordingly. Jesus enters into this conversation that usually the world wants us to ignore, but God is constantly reminding us. So we're going to be talking about this topic, and really we have two options. There's not many, many options. There's two options on how to die. So we're looking at these two options as we break down this passage today. So the first option is you have the option to die in sin. This is option number one. You can die in your sin. Follow along. As I read in verses 21 through 24. Then Jesus said to them again, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. The Jews were saying to him, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He was saying to them, you're from below, I'm from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus is continuing the conversation specifically with those who don't believe in him. So I want us to see something as we begin in this section. Everything that Jesus is or can do Unbelievers are the opposite, and he develops this. So, Jesus is a certain way. Jesus does certain things, and certain things are not going to happen to Jesus. It's the opposite for the unbelievers. And therefore, we can say for those who believe in Jesus, we share some of those characteristics, and definitely not all of them, uh, but we share some of those characteristics uh, that Jesus is going to be talking about here. And that's how Jesus sets this up. There's the unbelievers that Jesus is talking to, and he's issuing them a very, very dire warning. Willie Nelson wrote a, wrote a story. It's called, it's, it's, it's a book, I think. It's in a long story, My, My Life, by Willie Nelson. In that story, he recounts his time as a popular Sunday school teacher. Did you know Willie Nelson was a popular Sunday school teacher? I didn't know that. He probably did a lot of songs during Sunday Sunday school to help these kids along. And he was actually at a, a pretty big church, Metropolitan Baptist Church. His popularity was attributed to something, though, to his openness in exploring spiritual issues. It was an openness that eventually led to Willie Nelson no longer being a part of that church, his dismissal. He says this about his dismissal from that church. It was an opportunity to delve into the deeper mystery of the Holy Spirit. He said, more than ever, I sought to learn about God. One book that had a huge impact on his life was the Aquarian Gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you know that that was out there? You should look it up. In this, Jesus discovered and embraced the notion of reincarnation. This is what he wrote. 
From the first moment I considered the concept of reincarnation, it just made sense to me. He said, the old paradigm was just too cruel and too unchristian. What was the old paradigm that he says? If you die in your sin, you will spend an eternity in hell. He couldn't handle it. He said, how can a compassionate God of mercy ever set up such a system? On the other hand, I was drawn to the idea that you keep coming back until you get it right. Reincarnation seemed merciful and completely Christ-like. Jesus got it right from the first time around and was, after all, God incarnate, perfect man. But you and I, the rest of the world, we need several lifetimes to shed our sins and to learn the necessary lessons to heal our troubled souls. Why do I share illustrations like that? It's because you and I have to understand that what we say here, what we, what we say here on a Sunday morning is radically different from what this world believes right now. Because Willie Nelson is not the only one who wants to hold on to a truth, a reincarnation. And we have to have compassion for people just like Willie Nelson. Because Jesus says the opposite. As a matter of fact, Jesus sticks to the old paradigm, doesn't he? Jesus issues a warning. And we know that in, the, in Hebrews, it says this, it is appointed unto men to die how many times? One time. And then what comes after the death? Judgment. That's it. Jesus issues a very, very staunch warning here. And he wants them to know, look guys, if you continue in this path of unbelief, you are going to die in your sin. There's going to be a consequence for the decision that you are making. Folks, maybe you've come to church week after week. You've heard numerous, 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 numerous sermons on sin, on death, and on life. But maybe you continue to reject that truth. And I understand this sometimes needs a lot of thought. It takes some time to work through. But understand why God often repeats warnings like this. Because he knows how serious the issue is. This is the gospel. And the gospel begins with the bad news. The bad news is that you and I are in a condition. Our condition is a sinful condition. That condition has separated us from God. If you and I continue in that condition, one day there's not going to be a choice. Notice what Jesus is saying here in the warning. And he's saying basically to these guys, hey, guess what? Your time is running out. Your time's running out. And so often I talk, I talk to people and, and they put this decision off. People who don't believe and they'll say, you know what? I, I hear what you're saying. Jesus is a good guy. You know, I, I see the point. But you know what? I'm not ready for that right now. Well, what Jesus says here, yes, he's talking about his physical going away. And they can't say. And he's going to say that later on to his disciples as well. 
But the end result for his disciples is radically different from the end result to these individuals. Why? Because they are still continuing to look at Jesus as this earthly individual that he is not from heaven. He cannot save them. And as a matter of fact, they don't need saving from anything. These are the Pharisees. These are the rulers. These are the ones who actually later on are going to say, we're not the sinners. And this is the, one of the biggest problems uh, that, that we have in this world is people don't see their need for Jesus Christ. Why do they need a Savior if they're not sinners? And maybe you're in here today and maybe you think, oh, you know what? I'm, I, you know, I mess up sometimes, but I'm a pretty good guy all around. You know, I do some good things. You know, I help out the poor. You know, I give to church. Do you honestly think that that is enough to wipe away the guilt of your sins before a holy God? Why do we think God constantly is reminding us? Why throughout the whole gospel of John is he telling us of this condition? Because he wants to help us from it. Now notice here, and we can see when we break down this passage, how many times does he say you're going to die in your, your sin? Three times. But the first time it's singular, isn't it? Second time it's plural. Why is that? What's their sin? Well, think about it. If I have a disease and I go to the doctor and the doctor says, Mark, I'm sorry you have about three years to live if you don't receive this treatment. And I say, well, you know what? I don't believe that, doc. I'm okay. I feel fine. You know, I've never seen the symptoms of that disease or anything like that. I'm going to just kind of go on my way. Now, my ultimate sin is the rejection of that treatment. Their ultimate sin is the rejection of Jesus Christ. That is why he says you are going to die. Actually, the better translation is in this sin of yours. Because they don't receive the treatment. They don't receive Christ. And therefore, they will die from the consequences of their sins, plural. And that's what he says later on. They think that they are not sinners. They think that they don't need him. And notice that he's saying to them, basically, your time is running out. And God, often through scriptures, will warn us repeatedly, seek the Lord while he may be found and call on him when he is near. Why? Because there's, not going, to be, there's going to be a time when that's not going to be possible. I mean, this happened when I was fishing last the other summer, and I told you the story about how I almost drowned. I thought, and I, after I got out of that situation, I was like, wow, things can change at a moment's notice. And we're just so comfortable all the time. And God gives us these warnings to keep us aware of that. Hey, look, you, I know you're going down this road. I know that you're thinking these things. I know that you're doing all these wonderful things in your life, but, but, but you have to think about this. There's coming a time where you're going to not be able to decide. There's coming a time when you need to face the judgment of your sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. The reason why is because they haven't changed their citizenship. Notice what he says. What, what's the big difference? He says, they, they, you are of this world. He says, I am not of this world. One of the biggest problems that people have is they want to remain in this world. They want to remain in this world system. So this world has a system, and that's what Jesus is saying here. What's the system of this world? The system of this world says that we don't need a savior. 
The system of this world says, I'm fine. The system of this world says, there is no God. The system of this world says, yeah, we're all going to get to heaven if there is a God, because God is fair, God is merciful. They belong to this world, and you can't have both worlds. They need to switch their citizenship. Notice later on uh, in the high priestly prayer, he's going to say something of his disciples. What does he say? He says, they are not of this world. Why are they not of this world? Because they have believed in Jesus Christ. I think it's a good reminder for us who are not in the situation that the Pharisees are in, thankfully, right? But Jesus makes this this separation between two worlds. Um, There are those who belong to this world and those who love this world and those who just live for this world. That shouldn't define people who have believed in Jesus Christ. And he's constantly making this separation throughout this gospel. That there are two worlds. You know, we're constantly reminded as Christians to do what? To have our, remember that our citizenship is in heaven. To not store up treasure on earth, but store up treasure in heaven. To have our minds fixed in heaven. That's all for a reason. Because you and I are not part of this system. The distinction is made when we choose the world, when we choose the flesh. And if we choose that area, if we remain part of this world, then we can't be part of his world at all. So the end result of their decision, this separation, this rejection of Jesus Christ, is Jesus' rejection of them later on. I think we just got to be clear with people. So as we look at this, yes, this applies to unbelievers, but it applies to believers. When you and I are going out and sharing the gospel, folks, eventually we have to get to this point with individuals. This is the point we need to be at. This is where Jesus, he gives them a choice, doesn't he? He gives them a way out. He gives them an option. But he's very, very blunt in explaining to them, hey, look, you're in serious trouble. If you continue in this way, there's no hope after that. There's not a lot of chances to get it right. And and we can't make the gospel more palatable for this world. We have to tell them the honest truth. You're going to die. And if you die in your sin of rejecting Jesus Christ, the guilt of all those other sins are going to overwhelm you and take you down to hell. That's a truth people don't want to hear. But that's the truth that Jesus lets these, his, his enemies, these are the people who are fighting against them, but he gives a what? An unless. There's an unless in there. Hey, guess what? You're not in that state if, if you believe. But if they don't, the guilt of their sins isn't taken care of, and they drown in it. It's kind of what that word die can mean. It's you can, by drowning, by overtaking you. There was an arrest of a 94-year-old man living for so many decades on a quiet street in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. It was a wake-up call for all his neighbors. They said that they could not have imagined that he was an active collaborator in one of the worst instances of the Second World War. Federal prosecutors convinced the court that Mr. Berger 
was part of the SS machinery of oppression that kept concentration camps, kept concentration camp prisoners in atrocious conditions of confinement. It led to their injury, it led to their emaciation, and it led to their death. He had thought and he had gotten away with it. He was living in Tennessee, age of 94, but something happened. He never thought. You see, all the information that had the names of all these officers had gone down with a ship. And they had, it all had but disintegrated. Modern technology was able to put all that stuff back together. They were able to read all the names of all the guards who took place, who uh, took part in those atrocities. These cards were discovered in 1950. They led to this 94-year-old man living in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. The commissioner of the Holocaust Commission said this, Every time that someone is brought to justice, even from 50 years ago or longer, it's a message to the world that we're not going to stop until everyone is caught. Even if you've done something years and years ago, it will catch up with you. See, folks, the neighbors didn't see this man as a Nazi war criminal. But God did. Be sure of this. Our sins, if they're not taken care of, will catch up with us one day. This is the end result. Just like they caught up with this guy. You know, and we have this idea of justice, and we say justice was served for that man. But what about for all the sins that no one's ever been caught in? What about that justice? Why do we say that this type of justice is okay, but for the stuff that we do, we're kind of like, ah, that's nothing. What if it's against the holy, all-powerful, infinite God? Who pays then? Unless you believe, you will die in your sin. Option number one. Option number two, you can die looking to him, verses 25 through 30. <clears throat> so they were saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I have heard from him, these I speak to the world. They didn't realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. There was a husband who was concerned about his uh, wife's hearing. 
I think good husband would. He went to the doctor. He said, I think my wife is deaf. She never hears me the first time I say something. Some wives do that intentionally, I think. He goes, in fact, I often have to repeat things over and over again. Well, the doctor replies, I have a little exercise for you. He said, go home tonight. He said, stand about 15 feet away from her and say something. If she doesn't reply, move about five feet closer and so on and so on and so on. Keep going so we can get the idea, the idea of the severity of her deafness. A good idea. So the husband goes home, stands about 15 feet from his wife who's standing in the kitchen chopping up some vegetables and he goes, honey, what's for dinner? No reply. He's like, okay. He moves about five feet closer and he's, honey, what's for dinner? Still, no reply. He's getting a little bit frustrated at this point, but then he moves about five. I don't know how big their kitchen is. It's pretty big if he's already moved almost 15 feet. He moves a little bit closer. Honey, what's for dinner? No reply. Now he gets, now he's getting upset. He's, he's fed up, no pun intended. He goes behind her and he's right in her ear and he goes, Honey, what's for dinner? She turns around, she goes, For the fourth time, vegetable stew. <laughs> we can see in this passage who's deaf. Who. <laughs> Notice what Jesus says to them. It's like they haven't heard. They're asking over and over and over and over again. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And Jesus is like, okay, listen, we're going to go over this one more time. It's exactly what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I don't know if I would have the patience of Jesus up until this point, because I'll tell you what. If we get through this gospel and someone comes up to me and they're like, Pastor Mark, is Jesus God? I'm going to smash my face against a wall because we have said repeatedly over and over and over and over again. You guys might just do that because you want to see me smash my face against the wall. But notice how patient Jesus is with people. And, and take, take heart, folks. Some people just need to hear it multiple, multiple, multiple times over and over and over again. But here we see the consistency of his message, don't we? Nothing has changed. He says, it's what I have been saying uh, from the beginning. It's what I have been saying to you all along. And, and the translation is a little bit difficult, um, but I think the NIV gets it best. Just what I have been telling you for saying from the beginning. But now he's going to kind of go over it again uh, in a different way. There's a tactic in fishing, uh, a tactic that I don't employ because I'm not patient enough. It's called covering the water thoroughly and repeatedly. So you're supposed to, if you think there's a fish in a certain spot, you're supposed to cast, you know, and then bring it, not like that, sorry, like this. That's the weird way of doing it, the spin cast. And you're supposed to bring the fly, and then guess what? You do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again. And they say to do that because it's the, the first couple times, the fish may not react. And then eventually they're like, oh yeah, that's food. And then they're going to go ahead and take it. So that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He's going over the same thing over and over again. One of the hardest parts about preaching through John that I actually said to someone the other day is I'm like, Jesus says the same things over and over and over again. So I feel like I'm up here saying the same things over and over and over again. But for some reason, he wants us to hear them, doesn't he? So one of the things that he says is, unless you believe that I am he, but it's really I am, that he is who? 
Say it louder than that. God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who is sent from God, the one who can take care of the problem of sin, right? That's what he's talking about. But notice, he kind of does something else first. He kind of says something that points to who he is because he says, I have many things that I can speak to you about. That's always like interesting to know that Jesus knows a lot of stuff that he can say to us. We may not want to hear those things, but guess what? He knows it. And that's one of the things that points to him being God because who knows all the things that we have done? God knows. But notice that Jesus doesn't take that prerogative on himself and he says, I am here to speak the things that God has sent me to speak. Again, this relationship with the Father, but also that Jesus is telling us certain things. And that should make us think, what are some of those things, what he just says? And we have this thing in preaching, uh, in expository preaching, we, it's called staying the line or keeping the line. And keeping the line means that we're trying to stick to what the text is trying to say. We don't want to add to it, and we don't want to take from it. And what Jesus is saying here is that there's a certain message that is to be proclaimed by him, and then therefore by those who believe in him. We can't add to that message, and we can't take from that message. As much as we want to take away hell, right? As much as we want to take away sin, as much as we want to take away things that people don't want to hear, we can't do that. That's not the gospel. Jesus' message is consistent throughout. It's what he's been saying this whole time, and it includes certain aspects that God wants you to hear. God wants you to hear, listen, you have a problem. It's called sin. That's what he wants them to hear. Those things he is there to proclaim, but he also wants you to hear that Jesus is his answer to that problem. He wants you to hear that Jesus is the bread of life, that if you believe in Jesus, you're never going to go hungry. You're never going to go thirsty if you believe in him. He wants you to hear that Jesus is the answer to the problem of the separation with him, with the Father. That if you believe in Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, come and make their home in us. Those are the things he wants us to hear. There are certain things that Jesus speaks to this world because they are important. He could have said a lot of things. Later on, John's going to say of all the deeds he could have done, of all the deeds that he did do, could have filled up numerous books. But these are the things that are recorded. These are the things that are absolutely priority to us. God has told him to say certain things from this world. And then ultimate. And so here's the question. Did they get what he was saying about his relationship to the Father? No. And John, John lets them know. John lets us know. Even after that, they still don't realize that Jesus is talking to them about God the Father and this unique relationship that he has with them. And it's one of the most important things that we need to convey to this world. That Jesus has been sent from God. He's been sent from God to tell us what God wants us to hear. That Jesus is God incarnate in the flesh, and by seeing Jesus, by understanding Jesus, people can know God the Father. That's what he's been saying. They don't get it. But notice, I want to focus on this, this next part, because this is, 
this comes to the core of the identity of Jesus. Notice what Jesus says. How are you going to know? What is it that is going to define me? What is it that is going to lead to your full understanding of who I am? It's the cross, isn't it? It's the cross. Everything comes down to that moment. Notice what Greg Laurie says. It comes down to the cross. Any accurate presentation of the gospel comes down to the cross. We can talk about loneliness. We can talk about hope. We can talk about life beyond the grave. But it all comes down to the cross. When you lift up the Son of man. Then you'll know. It defines him. We cannot separate the identity of Jesus Christ from his crucifixion ever. It's not who he is. This is why he came. And if it defines him, it should define you and me who have trusted in His name, shouldn't it? In His mercy, in His love for sinners, in His suffering, in the understanding that you and I don't belong to this world. Guy says this, There have been many famous deaths in world history. We think of the death of JFK, of Marie Antoinette, Cleopatra, but we don't refer to the assassination, the guillotining, or the poisoning. He said such references would be incomprehensible. He says, however, the use of the term crucifixion for the execution of Jesus shows that it retains a privileged privileged status. When we speak of the crucifixion, even in this secular age, many people will know what is meant. If I say crucifixion, we automatically think of Jesus Christ. No one else. We don't do that with any other person who has died in that way. It's saved for him and for him alone. He says there is something in the strange death of a man identified as the Son of God that continues to command special attention. This death, this execution above and beyond all others continues to have universal reverberations. Of no other death in human history can this be said. The cross of Jesus Christ stands alone in this regard. There can, there, during that time, there were many thousands of crucifixions in Roman times, but only the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is remembered as having any significance at all, let alone world-transforming significance. Remember what Paul says, who do we preach? We preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's it. Why? Because it's the heart of the gospel. It deals with the problem that Jesus is talking about here. The church is about preaching the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why He came. He came to die for you and me. When you lift up the Son of Man, you will know I am He. 
He's definitely referring to Moses and lifting up in the serpent in the desert. And when you looked to the serpent, you were what? Healed or saved from the poison. I find it interesting in this. Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to the very ones who are going to do this act. When you. When you. When you do this to me, you'll know I am he. When you do this to me, you still have an opportunity not to die in your sin. To the very ones that tried him unfairly, to the very ones that spat upon him, the very ones that mocked him, the very ones that had him scourged and whipped and beaten, the very ones that, that took the nail and drove him into his hands, those ones, because of that act, can be forgiven of that sin because of what he does here. That's the mercy and grace and forgiveness of God. That's how we are to die, looking up to that death. Payment for the very ones who do it to him. Hanging God incarnate on a cross. His body given for those sins. How do we not die in our sin? Because he took them. Substitutionary atonement. It's the heart of the gospel. People don't want to hear it anymore. People think it's brutal. People think it's, it's, it, 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 it's just crazy that God would send his son to become a living penalty for our sins. But guess what? There ain't no other way to forgiveness, folks. No other way. None. Matter of fact, one guy says it just doesn't meet our sensibilities in this modern age. And again, we judge God. We put Him in the judgment seat. And we say, you're wrong. You're cruel doing this. There's no way. There's a different way. Notice what he says, according to Scripture, sin must be what? Paid for. When Jesus Christ suffered, he, when Jesus Christ died, he suffered as a substitute in the place of and on behalf of fallen humanity. Christ's death, death made it possible for men and woman, women to be declared righteous based on their faith in him. His death was not merely a statement against evil or an expression of love, but a payment that satisfied the wrath of God. And it goes back down to what he says right after this. Jesus Christ can die for our sins because Jesus Christ was sinless. What does he do? All the things that please him at all times. How many people do that in here? No one? You sure? If we can't do that, then we're in trouble. So he's saying, 
took on flesh, obeyed, took the penalty on the cross. He didn't do this on his own. It was God's plan. This is how you and I don't die in our sins. He took them. Not by anything that we have done. When you lift up the Son of Man, you will know I am He. Reminds me of a song. Christ Jesus, pure and holy, without a spot or stain, by wicked hands was taken, was crucified and slain. And now the work is finished. The sinner's debt is paid because on Christ the righteous. The sin of all was laid. I love to tell the story. It'll be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. It's an old story. But it doesn't get old, does it? Folks, we won't die in our sins if we believe in the one who died for them. I remember years ago, I was in the Navy, just living my life the way a Navy guy would live a life, which wasn't good at all. And I remember coming to the, the point where I actually started to think about my death. It's what started it. And I said to myself, if I were to die and there's a God, I'm in serious trouble. Because I knew, I knew what I had done. I knew what I deserved. I didn't know that truth. Someone came along and told me, and it was like, I just couldn't believe that that was a reality. I trusted in him, and here I stand here today telling you the same message and asking you to do the same. Because you and I might be comfortable, but folks, there are people in the position of the Pharisees that Jesus is talking to. Their time is running out. They belong to this world, and because they belong to this world, they'll die along with the rest of them in their sins and in their guilt. But Jesus offers an answer to that. He took all of those sins in his body for them. We can either die in our sin or we can die believing in him. Father, thank you for your sacrifice. For thank you for sending Christ to be that sacrifice for us. Lord, there is so much to your gospel that just 
we could spend an eternity to explore it. And one day, Lord, because we have believed in Christ, because we have believed that He is the one whom You have sent to take the penalty of that sin, we will have an eternity to do just that. Lord, but as we are comfortable in this, knowing this truth and having this hope, help us to be uncomfortable knowing that others do not. Help us to preach the full gospel, Lord. The bad news and the good news. Help us to do this for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.